Thanks so much for joining us. I want to say hello to all of our campuses and those who are watching online as well. Thanks for being a part of our services today. I'm excited about this series we're in called Stuck because I think so many of us feel stuck, whether it was because of COVID-19, stuck at home, stuck in our careers, maybe feel stuck because of the economy. Many people just feel like, man, God, I'm not where I want to be. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not where I want to be. I feel stuck, and Lord, I feel like you have more for me. That's very common for people to feel that way. So today's message is called Stuck on You. What do you do when you're stuck around some people you don't want to be around? Now, please don't point to the person next to you. That's very rude. Don't do that right now in church. Okay, but hopefully that's not who you're stuck with. But hopefully... You, maybe there's someone in your life, though, that maybe at work, or maybe you're like, Lord, I have to deal with this coworker that drives me crazy, or a neighbor, or a friend, or whoever it is that you're like, oh, Lord, why do, is this person in my life? And so that happened to the Apostle Paul, too. He kind of got stuck in the situation and stuck around people he wasn't planning on spending his life alongside. So maybe you've been there, too. So we're going to look at that today in Acts chapter 16, if you want to turn in your Bibles or your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app, I encourage you to get the Version Bible app or another one. There's lots of good ones. And so, and you can follow along as well with that. Let's say our mission statement together first. So what are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, today's message is called Stuck With You, Stuck On You or Stuck With You, and so because many of us feel that way. And so let's just unpack this story. Now, let me tell you uh, the story before the story. The Apostle Paul and a guy named Silas are traveling. They're on a missionary journey. That just means they're going from one place to another to try to win more people to Christ. And so they end up in a town called Philippi, when they get to Philippi, they have some early success. They win someone to Christ and, and, uh, and their family. And in, in, in the process of doing that, uh, there's this girl, a young girl, who starts following them around. And she's, she's a slave. And her slave owners use her to tell fortunes. And so that's what she does for a living. She, she provides a lot. She makes a lot of money for her, her slave owners. Again, no one's... The, the Bible, by the way, never approves of slavery. It just speaks openly about when, uh, when it did exist. And so it, it does refer to it multiple times. And here's one of these, these examples. This woman, this young girl is owned by these people, which of course we know is not right, but it's just telling us the truth. And so she was a slave and, and she was a fortune teller. Uh, people made a lot of money from her. Well, when this, the reason this girl could do that is because she had a demon inside her. And uh, the demon inside her recognized who Paul was. And so immediately she began to yell from a distance to them and say, these men know the God of most high and they will tell you how to be saved. And she began to yell this very loudly, which sounds really cool. Oh, that's cool. It's like a proclamation. But no, actually it was really annoying. It actually annoyed Paul a lot because he's trying to just be a witness and share. And he's like, okay, will you shut the girl up, please? I'm trying to talk. And so it just bugged him. And so she wouldn't stop. And so finally, several days into this, finally he'd had enough. So finally he turned to her and said, hey, the demon inside of you had demanded in the name of Jesus to leave her. So the demon has to leave her. So the demon leaves her. Now she's free from the demon. The problem was is that the, the slave uh, owner, the, the ones that own this girl, they made a lot of money off of her. Now she can't tell fortunes. And so they're ticked off. They're like, you just ruined our business model. Like you just messed up our income. So they are mad. So they gather people around Paul and, and basically a mob starts up that they started this mob to get Paul thrown into jail because now they're angry because he messed with their bottom line. So let's pick up now in Acts chapter 16, verse 22. Sometimes real life is stranger than fiction, right? It's kind of crazy. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. 
Now, you know it's a bad city when the city officials are on the downside, right? When they're crooked, and that's what's going on here, okay? So these guys, I mean, it's pretty scary when the leaders of the cities are the ones you should fear the most, and that's what happens here. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, Paul and Silas were beaten for really no reason. I mean, basically, they're beaten for sharing the gospel. I mean, just for, for preaching on the street, they're arrested for that. But before they're arrested, they're beaten severely. I mean, they're beaten to the point of almost dying. And so then they're thrown into prison. They're locked into the inner dungeon. They put them in these, these, these clamps. They clamp down their legs, basically. And so they're, they're clamped down. They're, they can't go anywhere. They're all bloodied up. And so what do they do at this point? Well, unlike what most of us would have done, they didn't say, I demand an attorney. This is wrong. I can't believe this. I'm going to start recording on my phone right now all this so I can show people what you did to me. They didn't do any of that. They just began to sing praises to God. Could it be that we just stumbled upon the secret sauce of Paul? People say, well, why did God use Paul so greatly? Why, we, why did he have such an incredible impact? This guy almost single-handedly won half the world to Christ, and he didn't have a cell phone or the internet or email or a fax machine or anything like that, and he almost single-handedly won half the world to Christ. Could it be because where most of us would be angry and demanding our rights and upset, he was praising God while he was still sitting in his own blood? Think about that. As he's praising God, he's... He can taste the, the blood on his lips still from being beaten. I mean, this is amazing, the faith that he displayed. Now, let me give you a little insight into the way jails worked back then. Jails were a private entity, and so these jailers were paid very good money to watch over the, um, the prisoners. These guys were very corrupt, typically, and so they, they, they actually would, would have it be a private entity. It was easier to not get in trouble if they used excessive force. You know, because then the government officials would be like, we didn't do that. I mean, we just put them in jail. I don't, I don't know anything about that. Wink, wink. So they could kind of have their way with these guys. And so, you know, Paul was beaten severely, thrown into jail, and, and, and this jailer locks him up. And, and by the way, this is how it worked. And so the jailers would be paid a lot of money, but also if one person escaped, that jailer had to replace them. So you did not let people get out of that jail. You would dare not let anyone loose because then you became the prisoner. You became the criminal. Like for whatever they did, you had to pay the price for what they did now. So you did not let them loose. So the jailer was not about to leave Paul out of his sights. So now Paul is locked up and he is stuck with this jailer. But the way Paul thinks is very different. You see, Paul knew because his attitude was different than his attitude of faith. He's like, oh, I'm not stuck with this jailer. This jailer stuck with me. I'm not stuck around these prisoners. These prisoners are stuck with me, and they're going to hear me singing about my God all night long. And so he began to sing to his God. He began to praise God the whole time. So let me just challenge you with a person you feel stuck with. I want to challenge you with this. Would you write this down? First thing you need to know today is this. I want to challenge you to change your attitude. You are not stuck with them. They are stuck with you. If you begin to change your attitude in this, it will radically shift how you see things. Rather than thinking, oh, I've got to be careful what I say on the internet, you know, because, you know, all these people around me, I'm, I'm just stuck. This is the way the world is. No, no, they're stuck on the same platform you're on. So maybe they're stuck with you. So why don't you just boldly proclaim Christ and don't worry about it? And the more they flip out, the more truth you've told them. So don't worry about it. Just be who you are. 
Just be a person of faith. It's so funny how we've gotten so scared to be people of faith. We, listen, truth is on our side. So we need to stand confident in who we are in Christ. And so God's word is true and it's not changing. And so we don't need to be ashamed. Just like I talked about last week, stand confident in who you are. But I think it's interesting too, here they were praising God while they, they were just beaten. Most of us would, would not do that. Now, the thing I begin to ask is, why were they why were they treated so severely? It just seems to me that the punishment didn't fit the crime. I mean, they didn't really do a whole lot, and they were beaten severely. I mean, like, really? Because you set a girl free from a demon, and, and you're preaching the gospel, they're going to beat you up over this? I mean, wow. But then I noticed something in the Scripture. They entered an area called Philippi, and if you don't know the word, let me just help you with this a little, a little bit. And Philippi was, was, a, was a part of a new province. And so this is actually the first time they've entered a town that was actually under Rome's control. And so remember, the Apostle Paul was told by God to go to Rome. Rome was like the New York City of their day. It was like the key influence. It was where the key to commerce. It's where philosophers and, 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 and the greatest thinkers gathered there. And so he wanted to go to Rome so he could be a big influence. And he knew that his influence could then spread around the world if he could just get to Rome where everyone was looking at Rome. So go there, be like going to Hollywood or going to, going to New York. It'd be the place where people go to exchange ideas and, and to share your faith and, and whatever it is you believe in. It's a place you could propagate whatever you believe in. And so that's why he wanted to go to Rome. So Philippi was the first Roman province. What that means is it was a town that was not, it wasn't Rome, but it was controlled by Rome. And so all of a sudden he goes to this, this town that's controlled by Rome and he gets beaten severely, worse than, normally he, he's, he's been ran out, ran out of town before, he's been in trouble with the law before for preaching the gospel, but, but severely beaten and thrown into the dungeon. Dungeons is where like, like heinous criminals, like, like murderers are put in, the, in, in these kind of stocks. Why was he in that? It didn't fit the crime. Could it be that maybe you're going through something and you're like, this doesn't make sense. Why am I going through so much? Why does suddenly everything get worse on me than it was before? Could it be that if we're playing a hot and cold game with God, God's like, hey, this is where I want you to go, Paul. I want you to go to Rome. And every time he gets closer and closer, God's like, hot, hot, hotter, hotter. You're getting really, really hot. You're almost there. You're almost there. And you take the wrong step. And he goes, oh, no, that's cold. That's cold. Oh, now you're back in the right direction. Hot, 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 hotter, 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 right? It's like the closer he got to the will of God, the more ramped up the devil's attack was on him. So could it be that rather than being discouraged by what you're going through, you begin to recognize that the devil realizes who you are and you're getting closer and closer into God's will and so he's ramping up his attack on you because you're doing the right thing, not because you're doing the wrong thing. You're going in the right direction. So I just want to encourage you to stay the course. You're getting hotter. You're on track. And so turn to the person next to you and say, I'm getting hotter. Let them know right now. I'm getting hotter. I'm on track. I'm pursuing the things of God. I'm closer than ever to where God wants me to be, which means the devil's going to ramp up his attack. And by the way, when the devil ramps up his attack, time to ramp up your praise. Some things you've got to praise your way out of. Could it be your situation? You say, I don't have an answer to this. Well, then the answer is praise. Praise God. Say, God, I want to praise you for this difficulty. I want to praise you for this problem. I want to praise you for what I'm going through. I want to praise you, God, because I know that you will get me through this. If we will learn to praise God in the hard times, say, God, I trust you through this COVID crisis. Lord, I praise you through this economic downturn. I praise you during this, during this layoff. I praise you in this furlough. I trust you, God, because I know that you are a God who's faithful. Can we praise God when things are falling apart? That's what Paul did. Maybe that was his secret sauce, is he had faith when other people would not have had faith. When the devil comes at you stronger, ramp up your praise. I want to challenge you to do that then look what happens next because of a result of Paul's faith. Paul and Silas praising God. Suddenly, 
there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. I love that. It means that, that, that the links just, just broke open, fell right off them. Can you imagine that? An earthquake shakes the whole place, and it says the foundation was shaken. All the doors busted wide open, and so they were no longer locked up. All the changes fell off, and the stocks that were holding Paul and Silas's feet just fell right off. They were free at this moment. Think about that. You know, I began to think through that. I thought, first of all, that's amazing, of course. I mean, it's, it's downright miraculous. But then why didn't God just unlock them? Like, God could have just easily just unlocked the, uh, the, the, the doors to the jail. I mean, wouldn't that have been the same thing, right? Actually, I began to look at that and think, no, God didn't unlock the jail because if, if you unlock a jail cell, you or someone else could lock it back. But if there's a foundation shift, then the poles by which that door swings, actually the hinges by which they swing, they're broken, then that door will never close the same again. You ever had a, maybe a gate in your backyard that would not stay closed? Could it be that the foundation it was sitting on got out of whack and so it just, it won't ever close anymore? You see, the reason why God shifts your foundation is because God doesn't want to unlock something that you or someone else could lock you back into. When God sets you free, you are free indeed to never be bound again. That's how God does it. Some of you are like, Pastor, God has shaken my foundation. That's because he wants you to never go back. Maybe you used to be in a relationship that wasn't God-honoring. Maybe you've been in multiple relationships that were not God-honoring. And so God has shaken the foundation of who you are in Christ now. You're like, I just can't do that anymore. I can't go back and do relationships like I used to do. That's because of who you are. It's so different. Your foundation was shaken that even if you tried to go back, it just wouldn't work. It's not who you are anymore. So he shakes your foundation. Some of you right now are like, Pastor, I'm going through a shaking. It's, it's a mess. My, I feel like my whole life has just shifted. It's supposed to. He's shaking your foundation so you never go back. He's causing you to trust in God like never before so that you never go back to trusting in yourself in your own wisdom again so that you trust in God completely. Is he shaking your foundation right now? I believe it's because he wants to set you free so you're free indeed. Look what it says in John 8, 36. It says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. That means you're completely free. And so God wants to free you from that addiction, from that guilt, from that shame, from that divorce, from that mistake, from that, that legal issue, from that depression, from that anxiety. When he sets you free, he doesn't want you going back any longer. You are truly free from that. Someone came today to be freed and God's saying, I'm shaking your foundation so you never have to go back again. That's what God wants to do for all of us. He wants to shake that foundation. So you say, well, then why is it that I keep going back? Well, could it be that God has freed you in your heart, but the only thing still holding you back is your head? It's your mindset. So wouldn't it be ridiculous for Paul to sit in that prison with those doors wide open and not go anywhere? <laughs> well, I mean, you're free. <laughs> Get up, go, right? How many of us are sitting in a jail cell that's been unlocked? Because it's all we know. And so our mindset keeps us there. Now, Paul didn't get up and leave, but he didn't get up and leave for a very different reason. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But I wonder how many of us have been freed that we're, we're freed in our hearts, but we're not freed in our minds. So, so God has to get that freedom to go from our heart up to our mind. But on the way to your mind, you have to go through your mouth. So God changes your heart, then we need to let God change what we say about ourselves, about our past, about our future, about who God says we are. Because the more we say it, the more our own ears hear what we're saying to where it changes our mind. 
So God wants to change your heart, change how you speak, which will change how you think. And so I really believe this. The only thing holding you back right now is you. It's, it's your own mindset. We have to let God free our minds from the limitations that we believe we're under. Because in Christ, you have been set free. And when you're set free, you're free indeed. So I just want to encourage you today. Let God set your mind free to understand that you are not limited like you believe that you are limited. God wants to set you completely free. Number two, God frees you completely where you can't go back. Now look what happens next. The jailer woke up to see the prisoner doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now right here, we've got a great theology lesson, okay? Because what he says, this is what most of us want to say too. What must I do to be saved? See, religion is spelled D-O, do this, don't do that, right? All these sets of rules of what you got to not do and what you can't do, what you can do, you know, and so it's, it's all about do's and don'ts. But a relationship with Christ is, is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. He went to the cross, and when he was on the cross, he said at the very end, he said, it is finished. He completed the work of our salvation by dying on the cross from, uh, for us and raising to new life. And so when, they, when he says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord. He didn't say do anything. He said, you don't have to do anything. You just got to believe. All you have to do is, is place your belief in Jesus because he's already done it for you. Isn't that good to know? We don't have to do anything. Just receive what Christ has done for us at the cross. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now it keeps referring to the word household. It says it three different times here. Household actually means oikos. Oikos is a Greek word that means your influence, your circle of influence. And so according to God's word, we're all influencers, all of us. You know, we look at these Instagram influencers, these YouTube influencers, but the truth is we're all influencers. If you don't believe you're an influencer, just look at your kids. A lot of their habits they picked up from you, good or bad. They picked up many of their habits from you. My poor boys are fans of Houston sports franchises because of their dad. I feel sorry for them. I've done this to them. It's very wrong that I did this to them. I, I, they have no idea the disappointment I've set them up for in their future. But they're huge Rockets fans, right? Huge Texans fans who, you know, somehow are able to take really great talent, make them mediocre over time. I don't know how to do it, but they do it. So anyways, my point is, is that they're fans of those teams. And I realize because just being around me, I influence them. But I look at other areas of their life, they've been influenced too. You know, they just preached this last month and both of them chose on their own what they were going to talk about. And both of them talked about, in a roundabout way, both of them about evangelism. They have a, 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 an evangelistic heart. They got that from uh, their mother and I because we're both very evangelistic and I'm, I'm proud of that. I mean, I, there's other habits they have from us that I'm not proud of, you know? I mean, they certainly picked up other habits that I'm not really going to say it on the stage. But anyways, <laughs> right? They all, our kids pick up on the habits that we do, Right? The truth is this, is that you're an influencer, whether it's with your kids, your friends, your family. You are. You're an influencer. You, you, you buy a certain product because someone else bought that product. You go, oh, I want to have it because they have it. And then someone sees you wearing it and they want it too. We're influencers, every one of us. And so it's amazing how we influence people by saying, oh, man, you got to try this new restaurant. Man, you got, there's a sale going on over here. You got to get, get down here and check it out. So we're, we're influencing people all the time. 
And so God wants us to be an influence, but he wants us to be an influence about Christ. So number three, would you write this down? Loving your enemies is your greatest witness. The apostle Paul could have easily looked at this jailer and said, you're my enemy. I didn't deserve this. You had me beaten and thrown in jail. So forget you, man. God set me free, so now it's on you. He could have walked out of there, and when the jailer was screaming, and say, please don't leave. They're going to take my life. He could have said, forget it, man. You're the dummy that took, put me in jail. I'm out. He didn't do that. He realized that the jailer needs the Lord. So he said, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here. The jailer realized he, he was set free, and he didn't leave out of concern for the jailer. And what's amazing is none of the other prisoners left too, which is amazing. That's a miracle in and of itself. They almost just saw something, experienced something so miraculous that they, they were like, I'm not leaving I want to know what this guy has. And so I bet it wasn't just the jailer that, that Paul won to Christ. He probably won the whole jail of Christ. I mean, who wouldn't want what Paul had in his life? I mean, seeing this kind of display of power, who wouldn't want to know Paul's God? So he led him to Christ, right? And so he led his whole, his whole household. Number three, loving your enemies is your greatest witness. Reach your circle of influence or your oikos. God calls all of us to do that. Can I tell you something? The very person that annoys you, maybe God's calling you to reach him. The person in the office that kind of bugs you, you're like, oh, you roll your eyes and they come around. Could it be that they come bug you so much because they're just lonely? They just need a friend. They just need to know you care. Could it be that the person who just drives you crazy is actually the very person God's calling you to reach? Well, let's not get too arrogant because we actually drive people crazy too. We like to believe that that would never be us, but that's us too. We do it to other people as well. But God's calling us to reach the person because the very person that bugs you or hurt you or gossips about you, this may shock you, but they're also a child of God. They also need Jesus. This is what's so radical about Jesus' teaching is that we see it displayed in Paul's life here. Paul doesn't see the jailer as an enemy. He sees him as someone to be reached. So this is why Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. So I want to challenge you with this. Who is God putting you around that you're kind of stuck with, that God actually wants you to, to minister to them, to make a difference in their life? Maybe you've been turning your nose up to someone when God actually wants you to care for them, to love them, to be there for them. Boy, it got quiet in God's house today. Hmm. It's almost like God's convicting all of us right now of someone that we've not been wanting to be around, but God says, I put you there for a reason. I want you to, to minister to them. It's a true story about a, a young Marine who is a strong Christian. He joined the Marine Corps. It was his lifelong dream. It's a hard thing to go through boot camp. He was in the middle of boot camp, and there was a lot of other Marines there, two young Marines, and they were all doing the same thing. And it's a, it's a tough season. But a lot of these guys on the weekends like to go party and that kind of thing. And, and this guy was different. He didn't do all that. He, he didn't take, take uh, you know, he didn't jump in when they were telling dirty jokes and cussing up a storm and all this kind of stuff. He didn't join any of that. He didn't judge him. He just, it just wasn't who he was. They picked up on pretty quick. They felt like he was a little goody two-shoes. So they began to tease him relentlessly. They were always teasing this poor guy. One day, one of the guys says, oh, man, we're going to get him good. And he showed them that he had this, the other guy had went, another Marine had actually bought a grenade that had been hollowed out. So it looked real, but it was hollowed out. And he said, check this out, man. We're going to pull a great practical joke, and we're going to freak him out. And they were just relentlessly picking on him. They thought, this would be so funny. So all the guys had kind of gathered around in the barracks, and he didn't know what was going on. He just noticed everyone was kind of gathering around him. He was like, what's, what's, what's going on? He, he, he wasn't on the joke, so he had no idea what was about to happen. This guy walks up with this fake grenade, and he goes, oh, check out this grenade I found. And he accidentally, but on purpose, you know, 
pulls the pin. Oh, no. And he drops it right in front of the thing. This is going to be hilarious. Watch him run off like a little schoolgirl screaming. Just it'll be hilarious. And so he goes, oh, and he drops it in front of him. Everyone's just waiting for him to freak out, to panic. This is going to be so funny. But then he does the unthinkable, and he throws himself on the grenade. He says, grenade, throws himself on it. The whole place goes quiet. Are you kidding me? This guy just was willing to give his life for all those guys making fun of him. Everybody in a little bit of shame just went back to their, their bed in the barracks thinking about what they just saw. They never teased him again. In fact, they realized that the one they were teasing that they thought was so weak may have been more of a soldier than all of them. You see, God calls us to care for those who make fun of us. God doesn't call us to argue with people online. He calls us to love people online. God doesn't call us to hold grudges against people who hurt us. He calls us to minister to those, the very people who hurt us. The Bible says to bless those who curse you. That's what Paul does here. Paul blesses the jailer, the very one who had him beaten. The very, I mean, just think about it, the very people who threw him on the ground and, and, and with sticks hid him. They bloodied him, and yet he stayed to make sure that they knew Christ. Wow. Who are you stuck with? Who's God placed you near that it isn't going away? Could it be you're called to minister to someone that maybe you don't look like, that you don't have the same perspective, that you don't agree with their opinion? Maybe the reason we're stuck next to them is because we're supposed to love them, encourage them, minister to them, reach them, share Jesus with them. goes on to say this in Scripture. It says, The next morning the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, Let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, The city officials have said, You and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. So they waited until they legally could leave so it wouldn't hurt the jailer or anyone else before they were set free. What this tells me is something that's very profound. If I could leave you with one thing, it would be this. Many people are stuck right now. Maybe you feel stuck in a situation, you don't know what to do. And what we want to do when we're stuck is cry out to God and say, why, God, why did you put me in this position? Why am I stuck in this spot? Maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe the answer, maybe the question isn't, God, why in the world has this happened to me? Why in the world was I thrown in jail for no reason? Why in the world am I in this job where I don't get along with anyone? Why in the world am I stuck in this position? Why in the world are my group of friends is there this person? It drives me crazy. Why in the world? Why, God? Why? And God says, no, wrong question. Quit asking why. Start asking who, God? Who? I'm stuck here for a reason, so who, God, do you have me stuck near that I'm supposed to minister to? Paul knew, obviously, I'm supposed to be in this prison. So, Lord, who is it here that needs to know you? So let me get busy winning them to Christ. And when I do that, maybe at that point, You'll let me move forward. But until then, I'm going to minister to those you've got me stuck alongside. Who, God? Who? Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would we just take a moment to pray today? Who is it that God is leading you to minister to? Who is it that just mm, drives you crazy, but you know God put them in your life so you can influence them and love them and encourage them? You know, I've never argued anyone, anyone into to heaven before. I've never done that. But I've loved a lot of people where it opens their eyes, where they're open to the truth that I carry.
and that you carry too. You're not going to argue them into becoming a Christian. It just doesn't work like that. But you can lead them. You can care for them. And when they begin to ask questions, you can lead them through questions to discovering that God is real, that his son is real, that Jesus died for them and rose again. Maybe in this story, you identify not with Paul, you identify with the jailer. Maybe someone dragged you to church today, made you listen to this. When you didn't want to listen to this online, maybe he dragged you one of the campuses and you're like, man, I don't even want to be out. And this person just drugged me here and all of a sudden this makes sense to you. And you think, wow, so, so let me get this straight. The Apostle Paul would be beaten up and stay the course. And I mean, his faith must be real. You know, ultimately Paul died for his faith. I don't know if you know that. Ultimately he was killed for his faith. Did you know that 11 out of the 12 disciples were killed for their faith. So why didn't any of them break? Why didn't any of them, if it was fake, if it was all made up, why didn't any of them say, whoa, 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 we made the whole thing up, please don't kill me. None of them did that. They all stood by their faith, even in the face of death. Wow. Could it be because it's real? Because they really saw him walk on water. Because they really saw him touch the blind man and he could see. They really saw him take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 people with it. They actually saw a savior that was worth dying for. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never given your life to Christ, you can receive him because he's real. He died for you and he rose again. You can pray this prayer with me right now and you can receive Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. What must I do to be saved? Believe in Jesus. Here it is. Pray this prayer with me. You can say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin and I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true. Thank you, guys.